1: Welcome to The Mandalorian Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David.
2: And I'm John, And this is our coverage of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 4.
1: In this episode, we're going to be discussing the scene-by-scene breakdown for Chapter 20, The Foundling, followed by a little bit of listener feedback. So be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes for the rest of our schedule for the month of March. So what are you all
2: thinking about this show so far? Because we want to know. Write in and let us know. You can send us feedback in two ways. Email us at starwars@thelorehounds.com at or head over to our website and use the contact form or leave a voicemail, which we'll play on the next episode, at thelorehounds.com slash contact.
1: If you'd like to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us on our Discord server linked in the show notes below.
2: A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. For just $3 a month, you get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access, bloopers, and more.
1: Of course, you can get all of our ad-supported podcasts on our Firehose feed by searching for the Lorehounds on your podcast application of choice.
2: Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment and rate and review us on Apple Podcast. This really helps us uh, stick out on the wide playing field of people covering The Mandalorian, this big Star Wars chatterbox. And that makes us go up in the rankings and allows us to make more podcasts.
1: All right, John, with all of that intro stuff out of the way, where are you? What's your feelings? What are your hot takes for episode four, The Foundling?
2: I loved it. <laughs> I loved every minute of it. I mean, Unashamed, I was, unabashed. I, I, I am in my jammies right now. Nice, metaphorically
1: eating cereal with Cyril.
2: It's exactly. It's just such a good show. Like I'm just really enjoying myself. I'm so happy that I gave my chance. I mean, I gave myself a chance to be in this headspace, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And gave myself a chance to just sort of let loose. I know you were talking in the Discord about. Oh, all right. Well, the kid got swallowed and survived the day.
1: But
2: <laughs> you know what? I don't care. It was fun.
1: It, right? He got
2: spit out and we laughed.
1: Yeah. Nothing better for Paz Vizla's son, right?
2: I am here for it. We got Ahmed Best coming in hot. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, game show crossovers from the Star Wars universe. I'm here for it all. And then we finally got some Grogu backstory, which I loved. So, right. I mean, I, I couldn't have asked for a better episode. We had, you know, even Bo-Katan had some character development. I'm starting to like Bo-Katan, which is mm-hmm. quite a, uh, a, a shift. I feel like yeah. she's finally starting to battle her demons a little bit and right. not just double down on being an asshole. Right. So what did you think about this?
1: Yeah, this was a packed episode. There was just so much lore, backstory, action stuffed into what 32 33 minutes. Like it it was was, like hyper efficient storytelling and fun storytelling, and it went by in a flash. But yet, I felt like satisfied. It wasn't like, oh, like what happened. That was like a small order of fries, and I ordered a large order of fries. It was like, I don't know, there's some trickery there of like how much density was in this show to its time, and by the time it was over, I was like, whoa, I'm, that was a really satisfying meal, but I don't feel like I, it took me an hour to eat that. It took a half an hour, right? I don't know. It's, I, I don't know what I'm saying about that. It's just like, it was good.
2: Well, kudos to Carl Weathers, right? I mean, oh, he, man. has he directed a lot before? I don't know. But this, is, this was a great episode, and I really think he did a great job doing it.
1: I was a little nervous because you know, it's like, oh, and here's a director's chair for you and a director's chair for you. <laughs> and right. like the, the, the whole actor's line, the old, you know, oh, what I really want to do is direct. I'm like, okay, so they're giving Carl one. Great. I mean, I, he's a great actor. He's been around a long time. Definitely deserves a shot. I do not know what his um, acting credential, or his directing credentials are, but damn if this wasn't a banger. Absolutely. Yeah. Loved it. Really happy. And, you know, the, the other thing, I mean, you mentioned the, the game show spinoff. Well, there was books, there was live action, there was animation. Like, they're creating a nexus for all the different aspects of the Star Wars storytelling universe. In this show, right? So at one level, yeah, it's a Saturday morning cartoon, but at deeper and deeper levels, it's doing a lot of duty to bring in the books. It's doing a lot of duty to bring in the animated series. It's doing a lot of duty to bring in kid game shows, for Lord's sake, right? Like,
2: I didn't even know this thing existed. And then mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm up at three in the morning feeding my son, and I'm like, you know what? This is all on YouTube for free. And I just watched an episode, and it was, it was delightful. It was okay. so stupid and delightful. <laughs> I'll talk about it when we get there.
1: But you know what I mean? Like they're, they're creating space for all the Star Wars properties to fit into this show at the same time telling the, Mandu, the Mando and, and Grogu show. It's right. really weird. It's hyperdimensional in, in some ways. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I mean... It's beautiful, too. It's gorgeous, right? Visually, it's gorgeous. The action has been great. Um, the CGI to practical to live action special effects have all been great. Like, how good were those bird creatures? Those were pretty good.
2: I know, right? I mean, the, the babies even were very, very That's
1: what cute. I mean. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and then when they were in the nest and all that kind of stuff, like, all of it was really seamless.
2: Yeah. Well, I think it's time we get into it, David.
1: Okay. So I've got just two quick callbacks to Episode 3. You know, a lot of times when we're recording these, we don't have time to research or or, or pick up on all the details. There's two things I wanted to point out regarding Episode 3 really quick. Pershing's ear, you know how he was tugging on his ear as sort of this um, tell? Well, um, remember when he was being held at gunpoint by a couple of those Imperial pilots and then Cara Dune shot the pilot that was holding him hostage, the laser bolt went right along the side of his head. So his ear, if you look in the episode, has a kind of nick and scar to it. So when he's tugging on his ear, it's some sort of emotional callback to his feelings about the Empire and the New Republic and being rescued and the PTSD of it all. So that's what that was about. Okay, that's cool. But then we've got to talk about the Opera House, where Pershing gave his TED Talk on cloning. Ah yes, and we've got to talk about the the Darth Plagueis of it all. So there was a whole conversation. Well, maybe you should set that up a little bit with the. I'm the prequel guy,
2: I guess. Yes, you are. I haven't seen them that many times, but I do enjoy this scene. This is one of the better monologues, part partially because Ian McDermott is one of the best parts of the prequels. Uh, You know, he plays Palpatine, right? And this is the scene where he's giving Anakin the spiel because he knows Anakin is anxious about Padme's death. Right, he gives him the spiel. Have you ever heard the tragedy of Dark Pl- Darth Plagueis the Wise? Mm-hmm. And this is—he he sort of lays it out as a tragic opera. You know, you know, he figured out the secret to eternal life, and then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Right, and uh, so this is really where he seeds that—you know, you you can make someone live forever using the dark side thing in Anakin, and so you know, I guess if you're going to be very generous to the sequels, this is what Palpatine was doing, right? He was setting up a situation where he had clones where he could put his essence into using the dark side. I just finished the Darth Bane trilogy uh-huh. of novels and okay. that is non-canon now, but they do talk about this ritual, ritual of essence transfer. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea is still around. It's my, it might not be called that, but this idea that the dark side can let you transfer your consciousness to a new body. And that's what the emperor is doing here.
1: Got it. And so interesting that Dr. Pershing is giving his Ted talk in the same venue where Palpatine and Anakin are having that conversation. So that, to me, is just more deep-cut work by uh, Filoni and uh, Favreau, where they're right. pulling in all this stuff. They're so steeped in the lore of this stuff that they're like, huh, so like, where can we have Pershing give this talk? Oh, at the Opera House, of course, because that's where Palpatine was talking about right. Plages, right? Like, they're They're stitching this stuff together... And so if you are a bigger fan and are more steeped in the lore, these uh, connections are available to you. And if you're just watching for the Grogu of it all, you can just ride along and, you know, it'll, it'll blow by and you'll go, hmm, why did they have that in here? But actually, there's a much bigger process that's, that's taking place, I think.
2: Right. For sure. So, all
1: right, well, let's get into the scene by scene. Um, as we said, uh, there's a 33-minute episode directed by Carl Weathers. And uh, I also wanted to point out that the previously-ons are always, so far, doing a really good job of setting up what we're going to get in this episode. So it's not just Oh, a- I
2: stopped watching them. Oh. Because the Mandalore, the, the uh, Mythosaur was sort of spoiled the last time.
1: Uh-huh, so right, yeah.
2: I, I've stopped watching them. I'm, I'm going in cold now.
1: Got it. Well, they're doing a good job of telegraphing and pre, especially if you're not a uh, deep cut fan, then I think they're doing a, a really good job of, of okay. prepping you for what, what you're going to get. All right. So we open up with a drone shot at dawn of the desert planet that the children of the watch are inhabiting. Uh, everyone's outside training and practicing their combat skills. As Bo looks on, we see Grogu sitting by the shore maybe moving what look like rocks but then turn out to be crabs
2: you know it's funny i think i've seen some debate of was he actually moving them at all or were they just moving around Uh uh-huh right what do you think
1: i think that this is more set up for the grogu uh having more of a force connection with living creatures than inanimate objects
2: oh yeah he's gonna ride that mythosaur
1: yeah so like He's sitting there, or he's going to tame it so that they can, you know, maybe both Din and him ride it, or Bo rides it. But, like, somebody can write it because he's able to communicate with it, right? So, the, a very Ezra thing, right? Like, being sure. able to... Well, and Ahsoka has this, too, right? Because remember in the... Um, uh, what was the animated shorts with uh, Ahsoku, Ahsoka and... Uh, yeah,
2: Tales of the Jedi.
1: Tales of the Jedi. Like, the first story is about Ahsoka... Right. Communicating with creatures. So I think Grogu has that power. Like, he was able to knock that creature out pretty handily when they're down on Mandalore, whereas he couldn't flip a mechanical switch to get Din out of the spider cage.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I think that most people using the light side of the force could do that, could, Mm -hmm. could... Commune with animals in some way, but I think that you know, with every single one of the Jedi, they have their own talent. They yes. have their own mm-hmm. sort of special, special skills. You know, exactly. If you're, if you're in a pageant, you have your special skill, and that's that's probably Grogu's special skills. I become increasingly convinced that what we're watching is a show called The Mandalorian, that is the origin story of the next great Mandalorian, which is Grogu.
1: Interesting. Yeah, there's be, people have been, conver- you know, there's been conversation. That people have been having about who is the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, right? And which the Mandalorian are we referring to? And uh, yeah, I mean, is this Grogu's story, right? And it's not Din so. story, yeah. It's very interesting. I, I, again, the the I just want to point out here: we've got a puppet on a beach that was probably in the the volume um with these little crab creatures and then Din comes over and picks up Grogu and I couldn't tell where the CGI and the practical and the puppeteering and the live action stopped and started it was right. seamless to me that whole little sequence and all the way through the show so this technology that they're working with is i mean they're getting really good at it really good at no
2: it. starbucks cups on this set <laughs>
1: <laughs> none whatsoever so Mando comes over to Grogu to end his playtime and tells him that if he's going to be a Mandalorian, he's got to train. Din brings Grogu to a training circle with other foundlings and then challenges Ragnar Vizsla. Bo questions the decision. Did you know
2: this was a Vizla before this, uh, this episode, later in the episode, when he identifies him as a the son?
1: There was some hints early on in the episode where they were on the beach when they were giving him his helmet. And they kept cutting to to Paz, and I think when the cr- the dinosaur turtle crocodile creature started to attack, like he, ch- he like grabbed him or shoved him out of the way or something like that. So there, we I I was aware that there was a connection, but I didn't realize it was actually his quote unquote son. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah, I didn't realize either. It's, uh, I mean, I, I will say this scene was very predictable, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he starts fighting him, he, he gets one shot on him, two shots on him, and then boom, boom, boom. Yeah, right. it, that's what was going to happen. Grogu was going to win that fight.
1: Right. And I like the symmetry here between the conflict between Din and Paz and Grogu and uh, Ragnar, right? That was a, a nice uh-huh. little bit. And I love the whole mom and dad of it, you know, <laughs> with, uh-huh. with Bo and, and uh, Din sort of parenting him. So uh, Ragnar chooses darts and questions why Grogu does not wear a helmet. Bo gives Grogu some encouragement as she arms him with the training darts. One does not speak unless one knows. Perhaps this lesson is for you, then. <laughs> Just really great right. Mr. Miyagi, you know, kung fu, you know, martial arts sort of inspired stuff here. This is... <laughs> I'm loving it.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I, I was... Big fan of the Mr. Miyagi of it all, like you said. It, it really does remind you of things in your childhood, right? Like one kid gets a little cocky because they, they got a little bit of a skill going. And mm-hmm. another kid who's newer to it, it might be more skilled at it. But they go, oh, I've been doing this a while. And uh, that, that underdog just, just gets them. Everybody loves the underdog story, yeah, right? Daniel son right. has to defeat Johnny in the karate tournament.
1: And the exposition that they did here, like, you know, why doesn't he uh, wear a helmet? Well, because he doesn't speak, so he can't say the creed, so he's not young, you know, he's not old enough to wear the helmet. It's like, oh, yeah, that's all exposition, but it all made sense. It didn't feel clunky. I didn't feel like right. I was sort of being pandered to. Like, I was like, oh, right. okay, that's cool. That makes sense. I like that piece of information.
2: Right. Because it was, it was a snotty kid yeah, trying to delegitimize him. It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, just a discussion talking to the audience.
1: Right. One doesn't speak unless one knows. I love that. That's a great line. (laughs) Yeah. The challenge judge sets out the rules and they start. Grogu gets tagged twice and Mando tells him that it's okay to use his force powers. Grogu does some fancy flips and tags Ragnar with a triple blast, winning the match. Uh, Yeah. As we said, the karate kid of it all.
2: Yep. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Uh, As Ragnar goes off to sulk, he is scooped up by a petrosaur-like creature and carried off. Paz, Din, and two others pursue with their jetpacks but run out of fuel. Bo continues the pursuit in her ship, and we learn about the fuel limitations of their jetpacks.
2: What I love about this is that everyone's using their muscle, right? Everyone's doing the, I'm on it, I'm on it. And then Bo goes, all right, take a breath. That's not going to work. What will work? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to play the long game. I'm going to take my ship. I'm going to figure out where it lives, and then we can go.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, like really smart tactically, and yeah. really showing her leadership here.
2: Right. And really, like, I, how long has she been in this cult has mm. she, ha, where she is just leading a mission, right? She is just all of a sudden in charge.
1: Can we, I want to jump back really quick to the sort of training montage when everybody's fighting, you know, kung fu fighting and they're all, you know, doing their stuff on the beach. Um, And we see a scene of Bo, like, you know, she's our point of view as we stroll through. I got the distinct feeling that she was looking around and going, okay, maybe they're a little ragtag, but it's a fighting force and it's more of a fighting force than I have right now. Because like all her other people left. And I just had that little tinkling, uh, you know, that little inkling sensation going like, um, is is Bo got some thoughts here about like maybe trying to shape the watch into something that she could use?
2: I do think she is a schemer mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. She is big on uh what's my next step to rule Mandalore. You know, she doesn't have her said girl chair anymore, so maybe she has been forced to Think about it again,
1: right? What corner of the cave does she have to 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 sit and sulk on?
2: <laughs> I know, and she can't even do it with her helmet off anymore. She can't even let her hair drape right. over her sad girl chair.
1: That's right. Uh, interesting that Paz says it always gets away, sort of implying that this has happened before.
2: Right, right, so. yeah. That's sad.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's like, come on, guys, like, what? how are you, you, you're you're Mandalorians, like, you're letting this creature come and and snatch you guys up, like, set a watch, do you have some radar, like, what, you know, put somebody up on a hill with a signal flare, like- Or, I
2: don't know, pick a different planet.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Did you, the, the petrodactyl thing, like, it had a real Game of Thrones dragon feel to me, the way the wing shape was. I don't know if you got that vibe at all. Sure.
2: Yeah, it was very dragon-like. I was mm-hmm. expecting it to breathe fire at some point.
1: Right. The um, uh, editing note, the, that drone shot that we got at the beginning with um, the sunrise over there where the covert is, that did uh, some nice double duty because that's also the direction that the, dr- the petrodactyl creature would have flown as well, even at a little bit lower altitude. But it was just sort of prepping us visually for what we were coming next with the, these flyover scenes flying through the canyons. So it was all part of the visual language of the show, So uh, of this episode. So that was a, a nice little cut.
2: I just realized something. Are you trying to
1: say pterodactyl? Pet, pterodactyl? I thought it was petrodactyl. Pet,
2: pet. It starts with a P, but you pronounce it pterodactyl. God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's all
1: right. Pterodactyl. I was like cutting. Case. I knew that. But then I spelled pterodactyl in the Google search. And then it was like, oh, do you mean petrodactyl i was like oh what 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 yeah i was yeah, never yeah. into the dino thing when i was a kid that that's okay my, that was not my jam that's all right um what do you think of that? I, I i don't know about you but i loved the canyon flying as when they're on their jetpacks and swooping around and stuff that was just really visually beautiful
2: yeah yeah uh, I mean, every, every shot in the show has been great this season. There are some shots in the earlier seasons where you go, ah, it's a little CGI for me. But this show, this, this season, they're really going for it.
1: Yeah. All right, we get the title card. And then on either end of the title card, we've got these really beautiful uh, images of Bo's ship traveling across the surface of the planet, right? So we've got it flying into the sun. And then later, we have it streaking back across the, uh, the surface. So really beautiful. Um Bo returns and they organize a war party with the Shriek Hawk training team to rescue Ragnar. Shriek Hawk. I <laughs> love
2: that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fun. The Shriek Hawks. Yeah. They the, the Mandalorians are great at naming things, right? You got right. the Night Owls, you got right. the Shriek Hawks, you got everybody.
1: And uh some serious teamwork here among the armor Vizla, Din, and uh House Kree's. Like they all get yeah. together, like they all put their um jealousies aside, their uh, religious values aside, and they just focus on what do we got to do to rescue the kid.
2: There's been a lot of chatter about what is the armorer's strategy? Uh-huh. Is she saying, hey, yeah, Bo-Katan, come in here because Clan Krees is a very legitimate, yes. you know, formerly royal clan. Right. So is House Vizsla. Is she just trying to Ooh. collect all the big houses so that she can say, well, look, we are Mandalore now? Don't mess with us. We are Mandalore.
1: So it's, but it's not like she was out recruiting them and like going, Hey, no. you know, I got some nice cookies over here. You want to come hang out and drink some juice with right. us? And like, it'll be all fun. Like she, these are, well, I don't know how she got Vizla, but like to have uh, house Cree's just show up. That's pretty fortunate. Yeah. And you're yeah. right. Like she's got two of the biggest houses there. But she never, she sticks to the creed. I don't ever feel like she uses her religious authority unduly.
2: No, I think this episode made me feel that she was more genuine than I thought before. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think she's just in it for the power. I really do think she believes this is, like, the moral thing to do.
1: Right, she's a true believer. Yeah. All right, um... Missable detail, the, when they're around the hollow map thing, the blue light was reflecting off their helmets as they were looking at the map, so just uh-huh. really nice super touch there. Nice. And then deep cut, uh, Kiramort, Kiramort, I can't pronounce it. Kiramorut? Yeah, kirimorut. Um, When Bo says, oh, I used to climb that as a kid back home, um, that is a big... That's a thing in the books. Okay. And that is the home to Clan uh, Skirata? Cal Skirata? Uh, okay, was a I'm bounty. I'm not familiar
2: th- with this story.
1: Darth Revan on our Discord uh, uh, posted a quick message for us, and he said it's the home to Cal Skirata, who is one of the several bounty hunters hired to train up clone commandos in Legends, and he essentially ends up adopting a bunch of them as his sons, and they all eventually go to live on this mountain together. And I guess it was like a home for wayward clones who were like were deserting or whatever and uh, would, would go there. So this is in like three or four of the books.
2: Okay, nice. So, so this is in Legends, I guess you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, yeah, that's, I do appreciate, and Filoni has gotten some flack for retconning canon things, but he does right. tastefully bring in Legends details, mm-hmm. legends names mm-hmm. that make you go, huh, yeah, I remember that.
1: Right. And this is what I was saying, is, is that they're, they're creating this big tent for all these different um, aspects of the Star Wars t- storytelling universe to live inside of. Like Andor's over there, books are over here, but they're, they're mingling and they're, they're seeding each other and they're influencing each other, but yet they can all exist within their own sort of realm and tonalities and stuff. And it's really interesting what they're doing here. I don't know if they are intentionally doing it or if they're just sort of being lovable goofball, do-do-do-do-do, and they're like, hey, let's make a show with our action figures. Right. And then have created this space inadvertently. But whatever they're doing is, is working on me, at least.
2: <laughs> no, there has to be some intentionality here, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't end up with Kurimoru if you didn't intend that to be in there. Right.
1: <laughs> All right, Grogu and the Armorer spend some quality time together. While she makes him a new mudhorn adorned rondel, Grogu has a flashback to his escape during the execution of Order 66. You
2: don't have a felony episode without Order 66 (laughs) coming up. Yeah, he loves that Order. He loves going back to it and showing a, a montage. Right. So this is the fun part, right?
1: Right. So uh, just really quickly, a, a rondel, the little thing that she made him, typically goes over your armpit. So to protect on uh, like a frontal, you know, like when you're wearing big armor, uh-huh. uh, especially if you're on like doing the, the lance, you know, where you're right. on Jousting. the horseback thing. Jousting, that's it. Um, that would protect your armpits there. And so that little round okay. piece um, obviously, is as big as his chest, and so she just attaches it there. And she says, "You know, you'll grow into this." But it was a beautiful little piece, and you know, with the mud horn and everything. So I thought that was very cool. And the whole montage of while she's telling, she's talking about the forge and how it's the heart of being a Mandalorian, and how we, you know, shape ourselves into uh, into this. Uh, it was very cool. I was I was really uh, enjoying the lore dump. As well as the visual imagery and getting those close-ups of, you know, sweet little Grogu's face.
2: Yeah, yeah. I almost expected him to fall over because it was heavy. Or
1: something like that. <laughs> but, uh, right I'm on his face. Didn't. And he can't get yeah. up.
2: <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was just thinking about there's a Rebels arc where, you know, I've, I've talked about this before. And I get, again, skip forward if you don't, Rebels, spoilers, I skip forward a couple of minutes. But there's a Rebels arc where you know Satine had designed a weapon when she was working for the empire that would heat up superheat this Mandalorian armor superheat Beskar specifically
0: mm-hmm.
2: and somebody suggested to the Mandalorians well why don't you just wear a different material and they gasped you mm-hmm. know they were just they were just like what no I, we're, we're not going to wear a different armor this is our identity and this was a non-religious group of Mandalorians right these weren't the fundamentalists these were just right. regular people mm-hmm. so Even if you get out of the Children of the Watch, you really do see how core armor and Beskar specifically are to Mandalorian culture.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's what's great about the scene with the armorer talking about the forge and like, you know, forging ourselves and our identities and piecing together. Like, it was really, it gave me the insight into Mandalorian culture that I've been waiting for. Right. Like, I'm seeing all these other bits and pieces, but this was the heart of it.
2: I feel like this was the episode that just gave us answers all around, right? I mean, we totally. had this, this Forge thing, and we had the flashback to Grogu, where we finally got an answer of who saved him.
1: Speaking of the flashback, um, during the flashback, we see a compilation of uh, scenes we've seen some snippets before, but on uh, to run through it all. On Coruscant, the Jedi are cut down, and Grogu escapes in his egg and meets uh, Jedi Master Kellaran Beck. They race through the city, making a brief visit to Umate and then meet up with some Naboo forces. They jump on a Naboo starfighter of some kind and escape from some TIE fighter-like ships. I, couldn't fi- I looked for those, and I couldn't find them. Um, so, yeah, So we, we see that it is Jedi Master Kelerin Beck who saves Grogu.
2: Do you know that there was a running joke for years that it was probably Jar Jar Binks that rescued Grogu? No. That was a running joke for years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Turns Guess out what? they were right. <laughs>
2: Kind of. It was the actor for Jar Jar Banks who rescued Grogu.
1: Um, I think we've got a voicemail from our friend of the pod, Elisa in Amsterdam. Yeah. What a delight.
0: Hi, Lorehounds. Alicia from Amsterdam checking in to say that was an amazing episode of The Mandalorian. It was especially great to see Ahmed Best again. Um for anyone who doesn't know, he's the actor who played Jar Jar Binks, and he was Harassed intensely for years because of it. Um, and now that we're having this whole like prequel trilogy, renaissance redemption arc thing. Um, he was given a role as a, a host of this game show. Um, it's on YouTube. It's called Jedi Cha- Temple Challenge. Uh, and kids compete to become Jedi. It's, it's a pretty cute show. If you have kids, you should, um, give it a go. Uh It lasted one season. Um, But anyways, the host, he played this Jedi character named Keller and Beck, and that's exactly who saved Grogu this week. So that's a really good example of what you can do with this, you know, multimedia canon with the books and the shows and even game shows. Um, so I'm wondering if we're going to see any more of this character. And also in the game show, he had like, Two droid companions named 83 and LXR5, which were basically kind of like knockoff C-3PO and R2-D2. But, um, yeah, it would be fun to see them pop up somewhere, too. Who knows?
2: Yeah, so I love what she brought up, which is that I'm at best. Yeah. First of all, he was going to play Jar Jar Binks in prosthetics and in a, in a suit, and then they made him the first CGI character ever. That was like a big deal. Okay. But he still provided the voice for Jar Jar, and he did get a lot of threats. He got a lot of harassment because he played the character, because that was the era we were in, and even the kid who played Kid Anakin got a lot of harassment, and it's very right. sad to see what the fan base did to those people, but anyway... He really has been given sort of a second run in Star Wars, and I love that. And I went on YouTube last night, and I watched the first episode of uh, Jedi Temple Challenge. And it's actually a pretty high production value for one of these oh, yeah. shows. Okay. I gotta tell you. So I grew up in the 90s. I've... I've, I've Talked about this. I was a young child in the 90s. And so I've watched a bunch of these, uh, you know, temple game show things where they have these physical challenges and trivia and a mix of everything. Right. And all the Nickelodeon stuff with the slime and all that. And this was probably the highest production value I ever saw of any one of these kinds of things. Uh huh. Basically, they have a whole round where you have to do these physical challenges that are sort of puzzles to with your partner and you have to get all the pieces to assemble your lightsaber hilt. And then you assemble it, and then you go, the, the first two teams, because there's three teams, the top two teams go on to this sort of uh, Star Cruiser level, where they actually go in a really well-designed Star Cruiser, mm-hmm. and they, one of them is the pilot, and the other one's the engineer, and they each have to sort of answer questions by either finding the matching image, or by answering things about a story that they heard, whatever it is. And then once they finish that, they get a holocron filled with the answers that they gathered. And then after that, they take their holocron, they insert that, and they have to go find their kyber crystal and, and this other thing. Oh, and my Lord. And then they actually have the voice actor, Sam, I think, Whitmer, Sam Whitmer, who plays Darth Maul. They have him live talking to, to the, the contestants, trying to tempt them to the dark side in that third stage. hmm And the, if you go to the dark side, it makes this challenge easier, but your next challenge might be harder.
1: Oh, wow. It sounds like it's incredibly well thought out. It is. I was watching. And I was like, this is a good game. And then
2: at the end, they even have Frank Oz playing Yoda, congratulating them. OK. <laughs> and it's wow. not a, re- a recorded thing. I mean, he says their names and everything. And I was just I was very impressed. This was a high production value. And so, yeah. So uh, you have Ahmed Best hosting it as Keller and Keller and Beck. And nobody ever thought this was going to be a real Jedi in the, in the whole universe, but apparently it is now. Apparently this is the guy who saved Grogu.
1: You know, if I weren't so jaded, you know, the, <laughs> the marketing aspect of the game show, right? So it, it's a great way to onboard a whole generation of it is, uh, isn't consumers. It? But what you're describing sounds like a really dope game show. Like if you, if you were that kid and into the Star Wars thing, that would be an amazing experience to compete in that.
2: And you could tell that the kids are so jazzed, right? They're yeah. just like jumping with excitement as they do this.
1: That's wild. I, you know, we were just, we're finishing up um, The Last of Us. And one of the things that that production did is it brought back some of the voice actors from the video game and, and brought them into the HBO show. And, and we commented multiple times about how classy that was and how cool that was. And, and just like, yeah, like acknowledgement, recognition, opportunity, creative people bringing their best. And for them to bring Ahmed Best into this has that same kind of vibe. It's respect, it's uh, appreciation, it's acknowledgement for all the racist bullshit that he had to put up with. I mean, it's not his fault that Jar Jar Binks was a badly conceived character, right? He just was doing a job. He's an actor. He's doing his job. And that he had to put up with that.
2: If I could just say, Ahmed, we so sorry.
1: (laughs) Oh, John, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay (laughs) i don't know how to deal with that one (laughs) just because it's so the the language of jar jar binks was really terrible
2: oh it's bad and it's pretty offensive actually when you break it down but anyway we're not going to do it no. We're not going to do it long term. We had our joke and we're moving on. I thought his performance was great, though. And I thought it was great to see him fight with dual lightsabers because that's not something we see a lot in the live action. Yeah. And uh, it was super cool. It was super cool. I, I love guess... the detailed the Naboo cruiser. Yeah. I loved yeah, the, yeah. the clone transport coming in. We don't see a lot of those. No, in live, live action, action.
1: clones. Uh-huh. That was so cool. And, yeah, that, the transport ship with the little pods, the gun pods up front. Yep. Like, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Um, yeah, I guess Ahmed Best, too, is a bit of a martial arts expert in his own right. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, and I'm looking at his wiki page. He's got stage, music, uh, film, producer credits. He's just done a lot of, a lot of stuff. So, super talented. So, very cool. Yeah. Hopefully we see more of him here. Uh, really, and, and what a great way to bring him back in this little vignette, so. Yeah. Moving on. We switch our POV then to the war party and we get some cool shots of them walking across the landscape before they make a camp at the base of the peak and we learn how the Mandalorians eat.
2: Yeah, this was a nice detail, right? I loved having Bo get the privilege of mm-hmm. staying by the fire because she's the leader. And I love that Visla was the one who gave it to her, right? Because he's the one who's always the adversary. Right. And now he's, he's like, the, "All the right, jerk." You are one of us. I'm not going to give you crap about it. Mm-hmm. You can stay by the fire.
1: Yeah, you're the leader of the war party. It's your, your right by by, by right. creed. So right. Um, but I just you know for as much as I, I admire the Mandalorian culture, like eating on your own, at least you know with this particular sect of, of Mandalorians, because uh, this is not this is not all Mandalorians, but like. You know, food is such an important part of our culture. We, we eat meals together. It's part of family time. It's part of our time with our friends. It's time for celebrations and holidays. World, the world over, food is so important. And if you got to go eat alone, it was, like, really depressing. <laughs> I was very sad for the Mandalorians, or the Children of the Watch, in that moment.
2: When most of them have to eat in the cold, right? In the, in the dark, yes, in, the in the cold. Yes, in the
1: dark, and the cold. Oh, man. All right, as the War Party prepares to scale the peak, we get some clunky exposition about not using your blasters and all that kind of stuff, but it sets up for the action. Um, and then we get some bad climbing scenes as the team reaches the peak. <laughs> um, so this was the only clunky part, I think, of the, the whole episode, but it was fine, right? I was, it, didn't, it didn't take me out of the, of the action or the sequence at all.
2: I had fun, but I did not buy that Vizzle was climbing in all that armor <laughs> and the heavy gun.
1: That's right. They really made that um, whole outfit for him really interesting. I was watching... On my second watch, I was watching the way the ammo belt goes from his backpack to the gun. It, like, it's really well-attached, and it was swinging and moving around quite freely. I was, I was pretty impressed with the armor. And we got lots of cool close-ups and um, detail shots of, of different pieces of armor, so that was fun.
2: I don't think anyone wonders who's the tank of the group.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty clear. All right, yeah. the war party reaches the top and discovers three young creatures in the nest. The mother returns to vomit up Ragnar, and the chase is on. Missable detail, right when they crest the edge of the nest, there's a fa- there's a, uh, a helmet, of a, a kid-sized helmet, like, nested. I saw in a, that. Yeah. Yeah. So. I
2: thought that, the, that Ragnar was dead at first.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and this is all goes into the whole, like, you know, it, it's happened before, uh, thing. So right. it's like, come on, dudes. Right. Um, and again, the, the live action to practical, to CGI of Vizsla facing down the three chicks and then the mother and then attacking the, and the, you know, the vomiting up of Ragnar, like it was all seamless. Uh, I, I never felt that any of that, um, Stitching together threw me out of the verisimilitude. I, I really felt like I was. That's what was happening. Like it really felt like the actors were reacting to this big bird.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. No. They they did a great job with this scene.
1: All right. The war party chases the. Um, what do you call this thing? <laughs> Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. God. Mm-hmm. I have that thing now where the sound and the word uh, are merging, um, and Bo loses a pauldron and did, Din saves Ragnar. The uh, pterodactyl is taken down by the war party and then eaten by a dino-croc creature from episode one.
2: It is nice to see Godzilla and Mothra really <laughs> go at it here.
1: Yeah, who knew we were going to get, uh, you know, <laughs> Mothra and Godzilla fighting in, uh, in this episode of Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. So and it's, it I was perfectly fun. Saturday morning, right? That whole sequence of like, Like, okay, come on, like, you know, Ragnar's uh, survived 24 hours in the gullet of this uh, pterodactyl? Like, that's ridiculous. But you know what? At this level of the show, it's just fun PJs eating cereal with cereal kind of storytelling.
2: Stop thinking about it and let's just move on.
1: (laughs) They return to the covert and Bo is lauded by the armorer and they bring out their newfoundlings. Um, she, the armorer makes a replacement to pauldron and Bo asks for a mythosaur insignia and then tells the armorer about what she saw in the living waters.
2: So what do you think about how the armorer reacted to this? Because I was not sure if she believed her or not. I think by the end she might've, this is the way it was, it's such a, an ambiguous yeah. thing to say.
1: Right. It's, it, it, I really had, I couldn't tell by the end. I was like, when I, on my second watch, I was like, okay, I'm really going to pay attention. And she just says it, this is the way. And there's no, I couldn't determine, I had no indication of whether she believed her or not.
2: I kind of think it was, well, through God, all things are possible, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. It was a very, you know, well, whatever you say that validates my position, sure.
1: Um... I wouldn't doubt, too, that the armorer wouldn't have reason to doubt that the mythosaur still exists. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, sure, okay, it's the mythosaur. Yeah, you know? Right. Like, I mean, if
2: you believe that this is a legitimate, you know, this is something that we do for a reason, this Mm -hmm. helmet thing, this whole culture, then I think you have to believe that on some level this is all true, right?
1: Right. Exactly. And I, and I wouldn't doubt that she's like, okay, yeah, cool. You saw the mythosaur. Like, oh, I, great. Did you tell him hi for me? <laughs> I've been texting that fool and he's been ghosting me. <laughs> well, it's hard to use your
2: phone underwater.
1: Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, what are they going to do with these uh, newfoundlings? Are they going to ride them? Are they going to train them up so that they can ride them? That's my thought.
2: How are they going to get enough Beskar to play- armor them?
1: Yeah, that's a lot of Beskar that they're going to need.
2: Yeah. They um, might have to go back to the mines, don't, won't they?
1: So, speaking of Beskar, uh, bo has got a nice new shiny piece of armor there.
2: I do think she is legitimately regaining faith in this whole... Or, get, I guess, getting faith for the first time mm-hmm. in this way of the Mandalore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she's like, you know... Din is like, he's got all the shiny armor, right? He's got, he's bling, all, he's, you know, he's got all the bling. And everybody else right. has got this sort of ragtag stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know, there's, there's some stuff going on there, like who's going to rule the Darksaber, House crees, And here suddenly, you know, Bo's got a piece that is putting her um, in the same kind of league as din now in some ways i don't know what it signifies but it's interesting
2: yeah i'm very curious how they're going to resolve her plotline this season
1: yeah uh all right well that's it for the episode uh anything else you want to share or any other thoughts
2: i don't think so but i think we need to take a quick break before we head back into feedback And we're back, David. We've got feedback. Would you like to lead us through it?
1: Sure. We got a couple of pieces. Just a reminder: uh, Star Wars at the Please feel free to send in anything Mando-related or anything else, sort of uh, general Star Wars-related as well. And I think we're still going to try and get a Bad Batch episode in later down the road. So if you're watching Bad Batch, make sure to send us in what you got to Star Wars at the all right. Uh, Jesse wrote in regarding the betray- betraying Dr. Pershing. Um, they say, big fan of all your shows, great coverage of The Mandalorian. I had a thought about the uh, Coruscant plot. In my opinion, it's likely that baiting Dr. Pershing may have been an effort to make sure he wasn't able to spill the beans to the New Republic about the Palpatine cloning project. It seems based on content from later in the timeline that went under the utmost secrecy, and they really couldn't afford to have loose ends like a high-level genetic scientist who was essentially defecting to the New Republic, even if they were largely uninterested in anything he was doing. Thanks. Keep up the great work, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. John, uh, thoughts about Jesse's email? I
2: think that's right. I think that's definitely a possibility, especially if I mean, I think it's pretty certain that Kane was working for the Remnant of the Empire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's right. I think that they got enough of his knowledge based on his records and based on that kit. Maybe part of that sting was to figure out, will he, when he gets onto a, an, empire, an imperial ship, will he go, man, these were the good old days and I can't wait to finish exactly what I was doing and cloning the Emperor, blah, 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 whatever. Right I don't know. maybe then, then they would have just smuggled him out, but I guess because he was really, you know, I got to do what's best for the New Republic,, all right, we're going we're gonna nuke your brain.
1: Right. yeah, like, um he is definitely exhibiting uh anti-imperial tendencies and pro-new republic things. And then if you extract him, then you're also tipping your hand and saying, "Hey, we have an active cell here, like we've got operations underneath your nose." And that would probably um, alert uh, some people to their presence. So easier to scramble his noodle than to try to extract him, especially if they didn't need him, if they just needed a little piece of information from him. I'm
2: sure there's somebody else in the universe who can do cloning. Whatever happened to Nala Say? I mean, we don't know because she's still around in the Bad Batch.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. And this is where it's going to get interesting in terms of crossover territory. How are we going to bridge some of these storylines? Because Bad Batch was going places in this season, um, and they're opening a lot of doors uh, yeah. to to storylines. So it'll it'll be interesting. All right, we've got uh, Peter Oh, one of our lore master Patreon supporters. Uh, he says, "Hey, lorehounds, wanted to ask you guys about all the hate for Star Wars prequel trilogies." When I was five, I see I was five when Return of the Jedi was originally released. So I sort of miss, missed the initial hype. My first real Star Wars memory was a toy commercial featuring the ad-at from Empire Strikes Back, which was pretty awesome looking. But we didn't have a VCR until I was a teenager, so I never made the effort to see the movies in full until the special edition of the trilogy was re-released in the cinemas in 97. I noted that those movies received some hate also because longtime fans were disgruntled. Personally, I enjoyed them and I was all for the new scenes with cool cool special effects. For me, the weakest part of the trilogy was the Ewoks. I thought that storyline was incredibly weak. Fast forward to the prequel trilogy, I enjoyed them. I don't understand all the hate. Yes, Jar Jar Binks was excruciating, but Darth Maul's double lightsaber more than made up for that misstep. I enjoyed all three films, especially Attack of the Clones. I still get upset when Anakin turns to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith. The Jedi Council made a right mess of that whole situation. I'm guessing the hate is related to people's childhood enjoyment of the films and the view that the prequels somehow tarnished those precious memories? Fair enough. Not going to tell anyone what they think, even if they're wrong. Winky winky. Uh, I'd love to hear your guys' both thoughts on the subject. For context, shows that have really irked me as well are Lost, The Walking Dead to a certain extent, the final season of Game of Thrones. Anyway, I hope you guys are well and am impressed by the quality and quantity of our current output. Best regards, Peter OH. Peter, first of all, thank you for being a a Patreon supporter. We really do appreciate your support and love all the feedback that you send us on the regular. John, uh, opinions and thoughts about the swirl of emotion around the prequels. Well, I'll just
2: preface with I love the prequel trilogy. It has Mm -hmm. a ton of issues, Mm -hmm. but I love it for what it is. And I love it more because there's been so much work to flesh out the characters of, sequ- of the prequel trilogy since, mm-hmm. you know, the Clone Wars and uh, Bad Batch, etc. So, that being said, I think that the reason that you saw such an emotional, visceral reaction to the prequels when they first came out was this. When you had the original trilogy, the Jedi were romanticized. Mm-hmm. The Jedi were remembered with fondness. The Republic was remembered with fondness. And, you know, if you listen to Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda, the Jedi never, ever did anything wrong, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Then you go to the prequels, and oh my God, this is a political mess. You have the Senate who can't do anything. You have the Jedi who are being drawn into an endless war, who are prideful and arrogant and don't want to actually help the most powerful Force user of all time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it must be just the feeling of having the rug ripped out under you mm-hmm. when you grew up with your, your favorite movies, with having this, you know, this force of good, the Jedi who were just these perfect, this perfect order that just got wiped out for horrible reasons. And, the, you know, that is true to an extent. Mm-hmm. But to see them be these flawed beings is tough, I think. Right. I think that really did mess with people's preconceived notions. Okay. And so I think that's where you saw that coming in. Jar Jar was stupid. Let's just be honest. It was a stupid character. The pacing of the movies was kind of a mess. And George Lucas's direction, I'm not even going to say it was the acting. His direction Mm -hmm. was very strange of the actors. You know, Hayden Mm -hmm. Christensen was basically, and and, uh, Natalie Portman, you see her act in a ton of things and do well. But he basically told them to act like sort of soap opera actors, right? He wanted this right. to be this high drama mm-hmm. uh, with, where it was presented with very dry acting. And I think that was a really bad misstep. Mm-hmm. So I think if they had had different directors where George Lucas was writing them or even better, just doing the big ideas, doing the main plot and letting someone else write the screenplay. I think Mm -hmm. it would have gone a lot better because the bones of the prequel trilogy are amazing. I really think that there are very few pieces of fiction, pieces of science fiction that have risen to the level of that poignant of a political critique on the current state of the world. And, you know, that's something that's always been in Star Wars. You see George Lucas was making a political critique during the original trilogy as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, the bones are really good. The execution was off. I still love them for what they are, and uh, there's always going to be a faction that doesn't love them as much, but I think that the faction of people who do like them is growing.
1: So, I've got a few thoughts, um, but the first thing I will say is I am now ready to go back and watch the prequels because I have a very different context for watching them. Um, you have been encouraging me to, you know, definitely get into Clone Wars and Rebels and, and all this stuff. I'm, de- I'm I'm very much sold on on Bad Batch for our Ahsoka uh, retrospective in preparation for the Ahsoka series later on. I've been catching up on some some Clone Wars stuff and really enjoying what I'm seeing there. And I'm really realizing that, especially watching the Mandalorian and with Palpatine stuff, I really need to go back and do a deeper study of the prequels uh, and just ignore the stuff that is not great uh, and look at the story. And I think that sort of dovetails me into when I went to go see the prequels, yeah, I'm a child of 77, and then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, right? Those were those things that just blew our minds as kids. And we're, you know, they're they're as large as the mythosaur in in our imaginations and and in our lives. Um, But then, you know, when you realize that, like, The Empire Strikes Back, the story is by George Lucas, but the screenplay and the directions were not George Lucas, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, Irvin Kirshner directed it, and the screenplay was written by uh, Brackett and Kasdan. Like, totally different people, but like, George Lucas is doing the executive produ- production and, you know, the, the, the big picture stuff, but he gave over the day-to-day control and the screenwriting to, to other people. And arguably of the original trilogy, Empire Strikes Back, consistently ranks it, uh, uh, the high, as the highest movie of the most enjoyed and, and beloved of all three of those movies. Um, and you got to go, hmm, why? Well, it's because George Lucas, right? He was involved at different levels of that thing, and he wasn't right. doing the direction of it. He
2: was the big ideas man. That's what he wants to be. That's what, who he should be. I wish he were still around doing that. I wish he were still more involved with Star Wars, but we've pushed him out. It's honestly, right. it's our own fault <laughs> for being so mean to him about the prequels.
1: So then, with the prequels themselves, and this is where I... So yeah, I'm coming to the prequels with the, uh, like, hey, I want to scratch that 77-inch, I want to uh, feel the, the, the joys and sorrows uh, in, of 1980 of, of Empire Strikes Back. I want all of that again, and when I go to it, I don't get that. I get weird trade alliance people and... Uh, rolling, you know, and droids that you know talk in these in this funny way, and we I'm getting all this CGI cartoon animation, and it's it has nothing to do with the original movies. Okay, that's fine. Like if you're saying, okay, this is going to be about how uh, the 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 underpinnings of the political structure start to uh, get pulled out, and we're creating this. Uh, empire within the, the structure of, an, of, the, uh, of an, an old republic that's dying away and being replaced by this evil. That all sounds really cool, but what we got was really awkward acting, and we got really weird characters that didn't make sense and were mildly problematic to be very problematic in some cases. And so for me, that surface level production stuff soured me on, on what the movies had to offer. I don't like sand. Right. Exactly. Just, just really difficult to, and, and and no hate against uh, Hayden or, or um, uh, what's her name? Um, Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman. Or anybody, you know, the actors are doing their jobs, but the direction and the script were, were just not great. And, and so it's that kind of thing that then detracts from the story. And, you know, then we're like, oh, Darth Maul, double lightsaber. Okay, that's going to be so badass. And then it was this really weird fight and it just didn't make sense. And the flow. What?
2: No, no. You know what? That is too far, David. The, the prequels have their issues. But the fight between Obi Wan and Darth Maul was fucking perfect.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. What I'm just saying is, is like we're we were coming into this with certain expectations, then those expectations weren't met, or we weren't we didn't know how to process it, or it, it was just kind of weird uh, for you know a variety of reasons, and so I think so that's that right? That's that's like oh uh, like this is a I, I don't know how to handle and process these movies. But then the toxicity in the fandom and the kind of things that happen to Ahmad Best and to uh, um, to, uh, Hayden Christians. I think it was. Yeah.
2: Is that his name? The the young Anakin?
1: Yeah, yeah. To all of those people. Like, that stuff has no place in the fandom. And we dealt with that in Rings of Power and around the Tolkien uh, world. There is a... Um, we, I think we have to draw a line between, hey, I didn't enjoy this uh, for these reasons, and here's my, you know, thought out critique, to the vitriol, the hate, the misogyny, and the racism, which is a different thing, and that's people gatekeeping and holding on to something, and I think that for whatever reason, Star Wars, like Tolkien, has such a massive fandom that those people have glommed onto it and own, try to own it in some way that is just very yucky and dangerous in, in a lot of ways, which is different from, like, hey, I just didn't like the movie. I just thought the acting was not good, or the plot didn't make sense here in this particular you know, point.
2: Well, there's something about when something becomes a blockbuster hit, right? Because I don't think that that faction of Tolkien, at, le- at least that faction of Tolkien was not very visible for a very long time until the right power. that's true and that then is they very came true. out of the woodwork
1: like crazy and we were all like where the hell are these people coming from
2: right and they came from the star wars subreddit <laughs> because they were there from 99 whatever mm-hmm. the, the phantom menace came out so right yeah anyway here's my main point we've been talking about this for a while but yeah, my main point is i love the prequels I wish they were executed a little better, but I still go back and I watch them from na- from time to time because I think the big ideas are really interesting. I think Palpatine is a genius and George Lucas is a genius for setting up this political quagmire of the mm-hmm. Jedi. Right. And uh, I just wish that the writing was better. But I think one day, David, we need to go through the movies and review them. But sure. when we have more time, I think that would be a lot of fun.
1: I'm definitely going to be watching the prequels in the next few months, uh, certainly okay. before Ahsoka comes back, because there's just too much. Uh, and we've talked about this before, like, you know, we're not the deep cut super fandom podcast here. We're, we're you know, we're into the lore, but we're, we're not steeped in it like some other podcasts are. And, and you're, well, you, you've got a much bigger head start on it than I do, but I think it, it's uh, it's, it's uh, incumbent upon me, this is the way I'm feeling about it, that I need to get myself into the entire storyline so that I can really appreciate the stuff that they're giving us at this other level so that when we're podcasting about it, you know, I can really appreciate and reflect that in um, this world that is being uh, uh, given to us on screen and on television.
2: Well, since we've been on Star Wars songs, maybe you could just watch the Weird Al parody of The Phantom Menace. Okay. <laughs> do you know about this? No, I do not. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Okay. So Weird Al, you should look this up, David. I am Weird right Al now. actually did a full song to the tune of American Pie, where he does the full plot of The Phantom Menace. Okay. I think it's called... Uh,
1: the Saga Begins. Yeah, the Saga Begins. Yeah. 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 yeah got it. Okay. Yeah, uh, big props to to Weird Al. He was, uh, uh, we are of this uh, generation, and um, that guy has been, he was just on, he just, there was just something, he was on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and there was a big interview, well, because he had a movie out, kind of a, a biopic about himself and about... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so.
2: With Daniel Radcliffe playing him. I've heard right. it's awesome, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But that's not... What we're talking about here right <laughs> no, now, no. <laughs> we've got to talk about our lovely patrons.
1: We do. We've got to wrap it up. Um, do you want to um, give our patrons a shout out? I would love to.
2: Special thanks to our lore master patrons. That's our top tier where they get a shout out at the end of every single podcast, as well as downloads of our theme music, downloads of the Bo-Katan song and, and any other weird songs that I come up with. And uh, we are just so grateful for you because you really keep the, the gears turning here at Lorehound Central. You keep us pumping out podcasts and committing to too many things. <laughs> so here's our list of thank yous. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T, and Dork of the Ninjas N, Duve 71 recently upgraded, and Brian8063, our newest lore master. Thank you all so, so much.
1: All right, John. Um, did you know that we have listeners in Sweden, Germany, Norway, Ireland, and Denmark?
2: I did, because I looked at the website.
1: And did you know that if you added up our listeners from all of those countries, they would actually be the number four ranking above Australia and below Canada in terms of raw numbers?
2: Wow. Yeah. These, uh, these Commonwealth countries really better get, it, get their stuff together.
1: Right. So Sweden, Germany, Norway, Ireland, and Denmark, uh, I think you should pull some more people together and get yourself up into that number three spot. Uh, you're so close. You're just a couple of hundred listeners away. But if you do live in Denmark, Ireland, Norway, Germany, or Sweden, uh, we've already gotten an email from Sweden. I would love to hear from uh, some other countries. Just drop us a note, say hi, uh, tell us how you found us, or tell us how, whatever shows that we're covering, um, The Mandalorian, how they're going in your home country. Um, And uh, yeah, we're just trying to reach out and and spread our, you know, have a little bit more communication uh, among our community absolutely john what else do we have going on for march we are half almost we're more than halfway through the month we're closing out pretty
2: soon it's crazy talk well we've got the last of us wrapping up we just put out our season wrap-up part one shocker we went long and uh <laughs>
1: had to break we it had to split parts. it up
2: into two podcasts because it just ended up being a monstrosity so We've got part one out now and about a week we'll have part two out and that'll be a lot of fun. Wait wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: We've got Last of Us, Lorehound's Play, and uh, Earthsea, we've had to break all three of those up because we had too much content. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern
2: here. I know. Maybe we should be better at time management. Anyway, (laughs) The Mandalorian is going. You just heard it. Come back for more next week. The Bad Batch envisions. we'll be talking about that sometime in early April. Ted Lasso Season 3, we're doing quick episodes, and we're recording one right after this, and I'm looking forward to it because it's a great season so far. We also just put out our first Earthsea Cycle podcast with Marilyn Arpukila, so check that out if you're into reading, which we very much are. And uh, next Monday, we're going to have our Silmarillion Stories. Uh, for March out, it is on The Coming of Elves and the Captivity of Melkor. We're looking forward to sharing that with you and we're looking forward to the Silmarillion stories in months to come with a couple guests and I hope that everyone checks out our Patreon today if they want early access to that Silmarillion stories episode because it's there already. And if you want more stuff like downloads and ad-free access and early access and bloopers and oh my, (laughs) check it out patreon.com slash the lorehounds all right david anything else for our lovely community
1: no just thanks to everyone for being such a great audience and um we're having some nice chats on the discord and uh getting some nice feedback and and reviews on apple podcasts and all of that kind of interaction and that positive reinforcement that you guys give us um just gives us a little spring in our step and makes us uh, that much more eager to jump on the mic so thank you everyone we really appreciate it
2: The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.